So tonight I want to talk to you about the tabernacle and my, the title of my message is called Taking Care of His House. And I, I want to, and the, what I mean by tabernacle is I'm referring to the tabernacle or the tent of Moses in the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, after they came out of Egypt, God delivered them and then he told them to raise an offering and to construct a tent or a tabernacle and they told them to put certain pieces of furniture in a certain place and uh, to and how to set it up and how to erect that and the whole purpose was so that god would meet with his people and uh, so uh, that's what i'm going to talk about i'm going to talk about it from two different aspects one is what the lord himself does in the temple the bible tells us that the, the tent of Moses is a parable or a type of what is actually in heaven. And so in some sense, Jesus himself is ministering in his own tent, right? In his tent of meeting, so to speak. And Jesus takes care of certain things within his, within his tabernacle, uh, in the heavenlies, and the children of Israel were responsible through the natural priesthood to take care of certain things within the tent of Moses as they wandered through the wilderness for about 40 years. And so we're going to look at it from the aspect of what did Jesus, what does Jesus do now relative to three pieces of what we call furniture in the tabernacle? And what are we supposed to do in um, displaying the work of Christ in the tabernacle of the Lord, the spiritual tabernacle, so to speak, that we are, right? Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and uh, what was natural in the Old Testament is spiritual in the new, right? First the natural, then the spiritual. So um, we're going to look at that tonight just a little bit. So first of all, what was the purpose of the tabernacle in the wilderness, or the tent of Moses in the wilderness. And Exodus 25 verse 8 tells us, the Lord said, I want you to build it so that, uh, and according to the pattern that I show you, he said to Moses, so that I, meaning the Lord, may live among them. God wants to meet with his people, amen? He wants to dwell with us and walk in us and be in us. This is the promise of the new covenant that we find in the book of Jeremiah and also in Ezekiel, where the Lord wants to walk in us. And that's why, in some sense, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, individually and corporately. We are the place where the Holy Spirit resides. We are the temple of the Lord in the earth. Don't you know, Paul said to the Corinthian church, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, in Ezekiel 37 26 he says i'm going to make a covenant of peace with them it'll be an everlasting covenant talking to israel and i will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore verse 27 my dwelling place shall be with them and i will be their god and they shall be my people revelation 21 3 i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place, meaning the tent or the tabernacle of God, is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself 
will be with them as their God. Now we clearly see that Jesus himself, God in the flesh, came and the Bible tells us, literally, he came and tented among us. He was a tent of God on this earth. In John 1.14, the Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. The words there, took up residence, the Greek word eskenosin, means to be tented. To be tented. The Word was tented among us. And so we see Jesus as the tent of God. So Jesus tented among us and fully exegeted the Father. What do I mean by that? Well, exegesis means to, to explain, right? To, to unlock the understanding. And the Scripture tells us in John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus fully explained or exegeted who the Father is, all right? So the Old Testament scriptures, why should we study the Old Testament then? Why do, why do we even care about what God said to Moses 1,500 years ago? Or 1,500 years rather before Christ. Why do we even care about that? Or 1,100 years before Christ. Why do we say that? Because the scripture in the New Testament tells us that whatever happened to Old Testament Israel is an example, a lesson for us. And so whenever we read in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, then the Lord is talking to us using Israel of old as an example to us, right? So then we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 1, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Messiah. Amen. So even Jesus, Paul says, is pictured in the wilderness. As they move through the wilderness, we see Jesus as the Messiah. And in verse 6 in 1 Corinthians 10, now these things took place as what? examples to us right so when so value your old testament all right put a put a premium on what you read in the old testament realizing that god has a message for you in the new covenant era in this era era after jesus right he has a message for us that's contained in the old testament romans 15 4 in case you doubt that scripture Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. It was written, the Old Testament is what it's talking about. Remember, whenever the New Testament writers are talking about the scriptures, they're talking about the Old Testament. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, Paul told Timothy, and is profitable for teaching and reproof and instruction in righteousness. Well, the New Testament was not yet written, right? Not yet complete. So Paul is referring to the Old Testament when he says all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So that's important. So the tabernacle of Moses, the tent of Moses, is a type 
and a parable. A, a parable is a story that tells a lesson, right? So Christ and his church, that's us, are the antitype or the fulfillment, the true meaning of the parable. So now we're going to read a lot of scripture. Horrors. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I trust you're a Bible person, right? You know that you love God's word. So we're going to start in Hebrews 8 verse 1. It'll be on the screen for you. The point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the, everybody say, true tent, right? That the Lord set up and not man. Verse 5, Hebrews 8. They serve as a copy. The Greek means example or pattern. And a shadow, in other words, a shadow is cast from the real object. A light shines, there's an object in the way, the real object. The shadow is the image of the real object, right? So it says, the shadow, which is cast from the real object, of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, make sure, see that you make everything according to the pattern. The Greek word here is typos, or we would read it, type that was shown you on the mountain a type is like a if you're going to make something you're going to cut out the pattern right when he speaks of a new covenant he makes the first one obsolete everybody says well the old testament is obsolete so it doesn't mean anything no the laws that governed the way israel was to worship are obsolete but the scripture's power as an example to us is not obsolete. For it had, the first covenant had regulations for worship, Hebrews 9.1, and its earthly sanctuary. For a tent was prepared, the outer one, which contained, and this is the three things we're going to talk about, the lampstand, the table, and the presentation of the loaves, the old-fashioned uh, phrase for it is table of showbread. This is called the holy place. So the tabernacle or the tent of Moses was divided up into three sections, right? You have the outer court, and then we have the holy place, and then we have the holy of... All right, you got it. And after the second curtain, there's a second curtain, there was a tent called the holy of holies. Kadosh Kodoshim. It contained the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered entirely with gold. In the Ark was golden urn containing the manna, Aaron's rod that budded and the stone tablets of the covenant. Verse 5, and above the Ark was the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. And he says, you know, we don't have time to talk about all these things in detail. Verse 6, so with these things prepared like this, the priests enter continually into the outer tent as they perform their duties. But then only once a year the high priests enter in. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit is making clear that the way into the holy place had not yet appeared as long as the old tabernacle was standing. Verse 9, this was a symbol, the Greek word parable, for the time then present when gifts and sacrifices were offered that could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. 
So they talk about ritual things. And then verse 11, but now Christ has come as the high priest of the good things to come. He passed through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He talks about how he enters the most holy place with his own blood and secures eternal redemption for us and how powerful the blood of Christ is for us. Amen. So here's a picture, sort of like a first image of uh, the tabernacle of, of Moses, uh, an artist's rendition. And uh, this, this image is actually owned by an old friend of mine. And uh, so you can see how the Israel would encamp around it and the, the, the part there, the outer court, which has the brass altar upon which they offered slain animals and the fire that was there. And then they would have a laver, which meant a place where they would, uh, containing water, where they would wash their hands and their feet. Because after all, it's a bloody exercise, right? To kill animals, collect their blood, and then burn them on the altar, and then collect their, their um, insides, as it were, and to dispose of them outside the camp. So they had to have a place to wash, right? So, and then uh, we have another illustration here. And, um, and so you can see the brass altar, and then the bronze laver, which had water, probably had two sections, so an upper section and a lower section. And uh, then inside the holy place, beyond the first veil, we have the lampstand, what some people call the menorah, and the altar of incense and the table of showbread. And then in the Holy of Holies, you have the Ark of the Covenant. So then as Israel's moving across the wilderness, they're actually shaped like a cross because God told certain tribes to camp on certain sides of the tabernacle. And so... Whenever they moved across the great valleys in the wilderness, the whole camp of Israel looked like a giant cross and uh, with the manifest presence of God over top of his presence, over top of the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, so then uh, another representation as well, just kind of showing the, the, uh, the, the tribes and where the priests were and uh, Judah on the east, of course, and um, as they moved, they were across. Lots to say there, and then uh, another image, and what I'd like you to do in your mind is to superimpose Jesus on the uh, furniture of the tabernacle. So you'll have the outside wall, of course. But notice, the Bible talks about Jesus being crowned with glory and honor. It says in the book of Revelation, in his right hand, he holds seven stars. It says, it says in the book of Revelation, his feet are like burnished brass or burnished bronze from the fire. And at his heart is worship and praise and intercession, which is what the altar of incense means. And so we see Jesus in the tabernacle. Okay? It's a beautiful thing. Amen? Amen? Jesus in the tabernacle. Well, we're the tabernacle of the Lord. And so we want Jesus in us, right? We want to be crowned with his glory and honor. We want to hold the light of God's revelation, the strength in our right hand. We want to feed ourselves with the bread of life. We want praise and worship and intercession to be at the center of our being. We want our feet to walk in the fires of the Spirit, in the sacrifice of Christ, 
and uh, to burn up the dirt that our feet walk on. Amen. That's what being in the tabernacle or being the tabernacle of the Lord is about. So Aaron, the high priest, he exemplifies Jesus, our high priest, as being dressed for service of preparing the tabernacle of Moses. Aaron's commission is really the same as the commission given to Adam. Adam was told in Genesis 2.15, God placed Adam in the garden to cultivate it and to keep it, right? Two Hebrew words for cultivate and keep are sometimes translated serve and guard elsewhere in the Old Testament. When these two words occur together, they refer to the Israelites serving God and keeping God's word and to the priests who serve God and keep his word. So we see the priests have the same calling as Adam did. Why did Adam and the priests have the same calling? Because Adam was serving in the first temple of God, which was Eden itself. And so we, then we can trace the temple all the way through the scriptures, probably about seven or eight temples all the way through the scriptures, where God wants to meet with his people. And the priests in the Old Testament are charged with exactly the same orders for governing and watching and guarding and keeping and serving as Adam was. Isn't that beautiful? So... Genesis 1-2 not only portrays Adam as a kingly gardener and a watchman, but does so in language that rings with the notion of worshipful obedience. Basically, Adam is being portrayed as a priest in this task. This is uh, Greg Beale talking about that. So this is tied up with what we, if you've ever wondered like how God was made, in, uh, God made man in his image, and you've, you've come up, you've probably heard different things where, what, what does the image of God mean? Well, it means, you know, God is a, a reasoning being and uh, is able to communicate. So, so man is a reasoning being, is able to communicate. A lot of times you, we, we try to, uh, we're relational, God is relational. We try to sort of come up with ideas about what the image of God is. But I want to propose to you that the image of God is bound up with the function to which Adam was originally called, to guard and to, to serve and to keep, to serve and to worship, to guard and to worship. And so Adam was the first king priest, all right? He served as the ruler in the garden that God placed him in, and he served as the priest of God. And his job was to expand the garden beyond its current bounds to bring order and grace and beauty to the rest of the earth by planting more image bearers who would be king priests unto God in their locales as well. This is the same calling as the church. The Bible says in the book of Exodus, I'm going to call Israel to be to me a kingdom of priests. In the book of Revelation, we are called a kingdom of priests, right? 
So we're to intercede, we're to take the gospel, intercede to other people, and we are to rule and reign with Christ Jesus. We're to expand the beauty of God's Edenic garden that he planted within each of us and within us corporately, and through the gospel message, bring people under the rule and the reign and the governance of Jesus Christ, and thereby expand Eden to the rest of the cosmos, amen. To take over where the enemy has brought dysfunction, disorder, and destruction. And we're to bring the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, King of kings, mighty God, Prince of peace, to the places where chaos reigns. And that's why we go. Amen. So the priests were to tend to the items in the holy place, the lampstand, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense, and that's what we're going to look at very quickly. First of all, the altar of incense, I mean, sorry, the lampstand. So the lampstand, or the menorah, a couple of images, the first one, I think. So you could see uh, there's measurements and everything else, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. But it is a lampstand that, that has oil in the lamps above. And it was to be tended to every day. And the priest would go in and trim the wicks, put the oil in, and make sure those lamps were lit. It was the only source of light inside the holy place. It was the only source where they could see what they were doing, and it was very important. Jesus said, what did Jesus say? I'm the light of the world. In his right hand, remember, there are seven stars, right? There's one main stalk. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And these, uh, the picture here is probably of an almond tree. What was in the Garden of Eden, by the way? The tree of life, right? So this is a representation, and also the curtains showed the representation of, of a garden-like environment for them. Jesus, the Bible says, walks in the midst of the seven lampstands. He says that in Revelation 2.1. And then it talks about, in Isaiah 11, the seven spirits of God, which is a symbol of perfection, right? Completeness. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. John writes to seven churches from him who has the seven spirits, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And seven stars. Jesus is the light of the world. Isaiah says that, talking about wicks on lampstands, Isaiah says in prophecy about Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. I want you to pay attention to the phrase there, faintly burning wick. Because it matches the phrase in Isaiah 61.3, that says the garment of praise is what he's going to give us instead of the faintly burning wick. So what this means to us is Jesus, our high priest, trims the lamps within our own tabernacle. Amen. And he will trim the lamps in your life and he will pour oil into you and make sure that you're going to shine bright if you let him. And just when you're at the place where you feel like you're failing, remember Jesus will not extinguish your dimly burning wick.
Why does Paul say to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that was given you? Because he doesn't want to quench your dimly burning wick just when you feel like you have the spirit of failure. He wants to give us the garment of praise. Why is praise so important in the church? Because when you put on praise, it refires the lamps. Amen? And the Spirit of God is allowed to burn brighter within us. Then secondly, the table of bread. Of course, you know Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread, John 6, 51, that came down from heaven. If you eat the bread that I give you, you'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll live forever. Amen? There's so much to say, but just let it be said that bread is on a table. The table is called shulchan. And shulchan comes from a Hebrew word that means to send. So when we partake of the bread of God's word and the bread of life that is Jesus, then we will have a heart and the energy to be sent out by the Lord to reach the nations, to be the king priest he's called us to be. The altar of incense, here we have it associated with prayer. David said, may my prayer be set before you like incense. In the vision of heaven, John in the book of Revelation chapter 5 verse 8 said that he saw the elders around the throne were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. The priests had to go in and offer the incense all the time. They had to trim the lights. Every week they'd replace the bread and they would eat upon it while they were working inside the holy place. The prayers of God's people are like incense before the Lord. What does it mean? What does Jesus do? What is he doing in regards to the altar of incense? He is offering praise and worship and intercession. The Bible says in Hebrews, he ever lives to make intercession for us. All right, so now the conclusion. There's too much to say in such a short time. So what Jesus does. Firstly, he's the bread of life, the word of God. He gives it to us to sustain us and to send us out, as I mentioned. Secondly, Jesus is the intercessor. He ever lives to make intercession for us because he is the high priest at the golden altar of incense. Amen who offers up praise and worship and prayer and intercession. And then thirdly, he is the light of the revelation. He provides illumination and understanding on the word of God, which is the bread, and provides the Holy Spirit to us and trims our wicks and keeps us burning brightly. So what are we supposed to do? If that's what Jesus does, and Jesus exemplifies as far as his work in the temple, in the tabernacle, if that's what Jesus does, then what should we do? Well, first we should partake daily of the fresh bread of the Word of God. Amen? Because it'll sustain you. Jewish tradition says that the priest could work all day with just a marble-sized piece of that bread that was inside the holy place would give them energy for the whole day. You have found this yourself. When you spend time in God's presence and then you feast on God's word, 
You know that you have more spiritual energy going out. You can face those. You can face the nasty now and now. Amen. With the energy of the life of God's, God's word. So spend time in God's word. Just read it. Do it daily. Partake of the bread. As much as you eat, eat bread. The bread of life. Amen. Telling that to myself. I'm preaching to myself there. Anyway. Stay full of the oil of the Spirit, secondly. This is the, the light, the lampstand. Receive the revelation of the Spirit. Listen for the Holy Spirit. We go about our day and we just do the natural stuff of life. And we talk to people. And many times we, if we would just pause and say, Spirit of the Lord, speak to me and speak through me. What do you want to say to this dear soul that's standing in front of me? right now listen for the voice of god trim your wicks amen just light the fire ask god to pour his pure oil into you and burn bright in this dark world and then lastly be a people of intercession engage in praise and worship and intercession a lot of times i'll tell people listen you need to learn to take a praise break during your day if you can get away for like five minutes or ten minutes or some, some days of the week, take the time you would normally spend eating and go to your car and put on some worship music and sit there and bless the name of the Lord and begin to pray for your family and love on Jesus. You'll have a great experience. It'll re-empower you for the rest of your day. Take a praise break, amen? I mean, you can even give up coffee for that. Amen. So... Let's do it. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we ask your blessing on this word and help us to learn to be like you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.